Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is supported in part by the Bertha Foundation. G'day, Lewis. Hello, Daniel. How are you? I'm well. Now, I've got some good news about Patreon. We have... <laughs> what, what, why, are you la- why are you laughing? <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I always find this ridiculous. And the, the constant promises of paying our guests uh, after months and months, I feel like uh, I'm in a gaslight relationship with you and Patreon. <laughs> We're going to be talking about gaslighting a little bit later on. And we will pay you, I'm sure, as soon as we break <laughs> even on the show. Um, but we have 101 supporters now, which is great. So Keith Williams, Mr. Kelly, uh, Frankie Lee, uh, Leon Sudrio, Dwayne Flanagan, they've all chipped in, become Patreon supporters this week. Big thank you to you, which means we are two-thirds of the way of me have not having to pay for this show myself anymore, which I couldn't be happy about. Um, to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash irrational fear. Another way you can support the show is to offset the carbon emissions from your car with Go Neutral. For every $90 sticker, Go Neutral will buy 3.5 tonnes of carbon offsets, which is about the average yearly emissions from a car, and $5 of that comes to us. To go Go Neutral, click on the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly.com forward slash Go Neutral. Uh, at the end of this week's podcast, we have an amazing lineup for next week's US election show. The lineup is amazing. I'm going to tell you about it uh, at the end to hear it. So you're going to have to listen to the whole show or it's a podcast. You can skip to the end. It's kind of up to you. I'm recording my end of Irrational Fear on Gadigal Land in the Yora Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. We need a treaty. Let's start the show. Irrational Fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Canberra, or Fair Dickum. And section 44. A rational fear recommends listening by immature audiences. Tonight, when asked by a journalist if he would commit to a peaceful transition of power if he lost the 2020 election, Donald Trump said, What's an election? And that journalist was never seen again. And Immigration Minister Alan Tudge has been accused by a judge for the crime of withholding an innocent Afghani's personal liberty. He was also personally thanked by Peter Dutton for withholding an innocent Afghani's personal liberty. And Mel Gibson is set to remake Passion of the Christ because the first time round, he didn't quite nail it. It's the 25th of September, 2020. If you're listening to this in 2050, we're so sorry. We tried. This is Irrational Fear. Irrational Fear! 
meet our fear mongers for tonight. Queensland raised but chooses to suffer in Sydney. She was 2017's Raw Comedy State finalist but plans on being a 2020 completionist. It's Lizzie Who. Hello. Lizzie, uh, what are you looking forward to most in completing 2020? <laughs> I'm just trying to hold it Hang in there, I think. Aren't we all? And she's going stir-crazy in her hermetically sealed Melbourne Domus. Quite frankly, we booked her because she's just happy to talk to anyone. It's the rock god of Australian comedy, Geraldine Quinn. Thank you. It's, it's good that you didn't use the uh, the feminine of God. It's it's clearly a a, a pan-genderal term. Totally. Uh, what, what, you know, if, uh, if uh, Kate Blanchett's an actor, you're a god. <laughs> I'm really sorry I can't fix anything in the world. <laughs> Uh, Geraldine, is this experience kind of like going out? Well, it's it's very sweet of you to think that I still went out. Um, I am 45, after all, and I live south of the river, which, if you live in Melbourne, means no one ever talks to you again. And he's been introduced so many times on this podcast, there's no need for an introduction, but I'll do one anyway out of sheer professional courtesy. It's Lewis Homer. Hello, Daniel. Oh, what, a, what a joy to be here. I like to, Geraldine, I've been kind of imagining that when... We're not here. You're just talking to like four soccer balls with faces painted <laughs> on. Coming up a little later on on the podcast, we're going to be hearing from Rupert Murdoch and we'll be talking gas and mirrors with the leader of the Greens, Adam Bant. But first, here's a word from this week's sponsor. It's the largest recession in history and the PM's gone parliamental. Coronavirus stimulus is said to be slash. JobKeeper was $1,500 a fortnight, now $1,200 a fortnight. JobSeeker was $550 a fortnight, now just $250 a fortnight. Economic stimulus reduced by 30, 40 and 50% off. The unemployed have never been more motivated to get a job that doesn't exist. But wait, there's more. During the largest ever climate emergency, the PM is giving billions to the fossil fuel industry for gas plants, pipelines and fracking. Instead of ending emissions, he's making more of them. Every day is opposite day. Taking the money for the poor and giving it to the rich. You've got to have a go to get a go before it's all gone, gone, gone. Terms and conditions apply. For donations of $6 million or more to the Liberal Party, see the PDS for details. Fearmongers, return your trade tables to the upright position. The first fear tonight is the Qantas round trip. This week, Qantas broke the record for the fastest selling flight in history, and it's a flight to nowhere, which is still better than flying to Adelaide. The flight, which sold out in just 10 minutes of being on sale, is a seven-hour sightseeing trip from Sydney around the country. Uh, Yes, if you uh, look out the left-hand side, you'll see the long white clouds over the Gold Coast and then uh, the long white clouds over Uluru. And if you look out the right-hand side, you'll see the long white clouds of the... Oh, no, that's just the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, Don't worry about that. And uh, you can sit in the back for $800 or you can sit up the front for $4,000. And for $8,000, you can drive to Sydney Airport and have a coffee, which is great. They also have uh, the full in-flight entertainment system, which you can spend $800 watching Tenet the way uh, Christopher Nolan purely intended. A Qantas spokesperson actually said, people clearly miss travel and the experience of flying, and clearly those people have never tried ketamine. Fearmongers, <laughs> what is appealing about this experience to you? Lizzie who? Oh, I have no idea. I have no idea why this is appealing. Uh, maybe maybe it's like really devout points people. That's what I'm <laughs> Those point riders, yeah. Those, yeah, people, that, those, those people, people that need to get their status back to whatever the highest one is. I don't know what that is. What, so they can hang around at the Qantas Lounge on their own? Yeah. 
There's nothing like there's nothing like a bowl of cornflakes uh, except when it's at the uh, at the Qantas Lounge. That that feels good when you're having a bowl of cornflakes in the Qantas Lounge. That's a special bowl of cornflakes. I'm so sorry. It might be the fact that there's a pandemic on, but I was convinced for a second. Then you said Ebola cornflakes, <laughs> and I I'm quite tired, but. I went, Dan, Dan, you're on the edge, man. Come on. I believe you can get that in the Tiger Lounge, the Ebola. (laughs) (laughs) Wow! Yeah, Ebola in the Qantas Lounge is still the second worst thing after Sky News being potentially broadcast. (laughs) I love the, uh, the, the flight to nowhere. I think it's, uh, it's romantic. It would be very disappointing. You know, people used to do those um, surprise flights. Oh, where the mystery, you the mystery take flights. A partner yeah. and you go like, don't pack a bikini and the coat, babe, because you don't know where we're going. And then just to end up back home. Yeah, this yeah. is this is pack the house key because we're coming right back. Yeah. <laughs> they also, because um, Qantas have just been selling everything. A few weeks ago, they uh, put all of their in-flight meals on on for sale, and they sold out in like no time at all. But then this week. They actually put up for sale their drinks carts filled to the brim with the booze, Yeah, uh, which is amazing. But it's just like I will – as much booze as you could drink on that drinks cart, it will never be able to replicate the feeling of having like one and a half bad red wines and then weeping <laughs> to a Pixar film. <laughs> you can do that at home. Uh, in, yeah. The thing I'm it, crying on my couch. I don't need to pay four grand. They uh, Those carts sold for $1,000 and they're already sold out. Uh, they have up to 160 miniature wine bottles. And I'm thinking, who's buying that? Grant Daniel? Doesn't he have enough? <laughs> it's, it's like a deceased estate. That's it. <laughs> well, it's so, but, it, but with soy treats. Well, it, it's totally true. I mean, I stood on Bondi Beach and I watched the last Qantas 747 fly out of Australia. That was a, a, a tear went down my face because I, I love I love kind of aviation. But what's interesting, you say it's like a deceased estate. I don't think it's too far from the truth because Qantas today, it's just come out that they've been underpaying workers through JobKeeper. And I like, I like it that they've, they're selling all the booze to pay their workers back. Oh, that's a, it's a pleasant idea. I particularly like that somebody was quoting, you know, oh, people miss travel, they miss the experience of flying. I wouldn't have picked you as one of those people, Dan, but I don't know, that sounds like bullshit to me. And the only thing magical about flying is the fact that you can fart with impunity and it just disappears somewhere. <laughs> Maybe if they could find a way to harness that power, then they'd be in a better position economically. That's how you can make renewable flight, by putting a tube in everybody's bum and powering the plane with methane. <laughs> I kind of hope it's like a really wet weather day. <laughs> yeah, there's this like terrible turbulence and they can't leave the tarmac. It's like, I'm so sorry. And all the people in the plane are going, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Even longer on the plane. Oh, sorry, uh, QF flight to nowhere is delayed. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to see a, a, the air host... Hosts get on and just be like, you know the drill, just sit out, <laughs> have a good time. <laughs> and they did the local time when they got back. The local time is exactly the same as when you left. Yeah. <laughs> I just like the idea of if they could just hire a whole bunch of out-of-work performers to run past the windows holding, like, portable plastic trees and, <laughs> and then throwing seagulls across the way. And we could, we could all really give a boost to all of our industries. But no, no, just sell the booze. <laughs> you could have a concert on the plane. Oh, oh, why not? Oh, Owen, Jay would be up for that. Beautiful. You get oh. all those Qantas kids. So you sang the song on Uluru. What are they doing now? Oh, my nephew was one of, was in that choir. Are they cancelled yeah. now for, for that? <laughs> no, they're, they're, all, they're all old now. They're all executives at Qantas. They're firing all the employees. <laughs> <laughs> 
fear. This is a rational fear. Fear number two, the federal government has announced they're upgrading the NBN. Finally, we can party like it's 2007. It's the technology of today, sometime before the decade is out. This comes after eight years of insisting that fibre to the node was perfectly good internet, you know, um, like when you really wanted a skateboard and your dad insists he's making you a perfectly good one in the shed out of two planks and a milk crate. It's not a skateboard, Dad, it's a fucking milk crate. (laughs) And sure, you know, um, we could have had this uh, over a decade ago, but uh, Tony Abbott and the Liberal Party dismissed fibre to the home as an irresponsible gold-plated option. Uh, On the other hand, for the amount they've wasted on out-of-date, inefficient copper wires, we could have actually plated it in gold. (sighs) If you remember, Tony Abbott dismissed the NBN as essentially a video entertainment system when it was actually really important for universities and businesses and local libraries and everyone else ever who is now unemployed and stuck at home watching their video (laughs) entertainment systems. Lewis, um, when you get it, what are you going to do with all that fancy internet? Oh, my God. Well, first things first, uh, I'm going to go- jump right on this podcast, Dan, and, uh, <laughs> and just get crystal clear audio from you to me. It's one of the most frustrating and uh, just writ large moments of Australian politics. Everyone knew. Everyone knew at the time Everybody. this was happening. Like, this is the most predictable car crash and the slowest one. Like there was not a single expert, there's not a single person who used the internet back then that didn't see this coming. I don't know if it happened for Lizzie and G- and Geraldine, but when you said frustrating, there was a great glitch on <laughs> frustrating. <laughs> 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 How smug is Rudd at the moment? I've just seen it. That's the only downside to this. I would almost sacrifice good internet to lose Kevin Rudd's smugness. (laughs) Well, uh, Lewis, I don't know if you caught the conversation that he and I had um, a few weeks ago on this podcast, but one of the things he did say was was that... um, uh, that in terms of stimulus, what the government should do is complete the NVN. And three weeks later, that's exactly what they've come out to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yes, irrational fear is finally setting the agenda. Maybe they listened to him because of his excellent Russian accent on that episode. Oh, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Uh, now, yeah, Rudd was on this podcast um, just a couple of weeks ago talking about that. He also claimed that Rupert, co- Rupert Murdoch, that is, coerced the government into delivering slow internet so Netflix wouldn't compete with Foxtel. You'd be surprised that Rupert himself seemed very pleased with this week's announcement, so he made an announcement of his very own. Hello there, it's Lord and Saviour Rupert Murdoch here. Um, now, I'm pleased to announce that now that News Corp has finally gone round to allowing the federal government to put in fibre to the home, so that's wonderful. It's super fast internet, it's over fibre optic cable, so it's, it's so futuristic you'll think you're living in the year 2000. I know what you're thinking, why didn't you do this earlier, Rupert? Well, you couldn't watch sports streaming on demand, but you can now with Kaio, you see, which I own. You couldn't watch Foxtel streaming on demand, but you can now with Binge, which which I own. You couldn't watch Parliament streaming on demand either, and I own that too. I have for a long time, but no one watches it, so it doesn't matter. Uh, so look, you're bloody welcome, all right? And if you want to watch the 2021 United States Civil War live and uncut and unedited by me, Fox News has the streaming rights to that too, which I own. So bugger off and get some subscriptions. Thank you very much. Go Trump. Very good. <laughs> 
Australia isn't the only country with terrible internet. Our final fear tonight comes from the Welsh village of Aberhosen, where at precisely 7am every day, the broadband signal would cut out. And after days of testing and replacing cables, engineers worked out that the problem was caused by one village's old TV. Geraldine, can you relate to this old guy's TV problems? I really can. I mean, apart from the fact that if you are on the live stream and you can see my study, it's clear I never throw anything out. So I would be exactly the person that has that TV. I just thought it was, this is such an adorable story because when they worked out what they had to send all these engineers in with, with, um, with radio wave signal receivers to try to work out what it was because it could be a whole bunch of different electrical things. It was like Ghostbusters. It was, yeah. And they finally find out it, it was this one person and they were so embarrassed that they didn't want to be named. So I'm in Melbourne in week eight of stage four lockdown and we've got cashed up bogans from Carum Downs going into the city and getting chased through Elwood Park by police on, on horses screaming about their rights because they can't get a sausage at Bunnings and yet this person was just so embarrassed. His sense of, of society and his and his duty to his fellow villagers that he was like, please don't name me. I mean, they, should be, they should be setting up a GoFundMe so he could get a smart TV for goodness sakes. What an amazing story. It's One so that sweet. connects to broadband. What was he watching at 7am? Would he have to admit to turning onto the UK's version of Sunrise? I have no idea. What was he doing watching television at 7? It was probably just to get the weather. Or maybe, like me, just left it on for company. I mean, whoops, I've got a rich and varied social life. <laughs> It would be, given all of the, uh, like, coronavirus conspiracies, imagine all the people in Wales, like, stuck in their house and they look out the window and there's just ten people in suits with little spectrum <laughs> stepping around. Like, I can't believe that hasn't spiralled into a new conspiracy theory. Small town too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was only 400 people. Yeah. If you ruined the internet in the small town I grew up in right now, you would be lynched. <laughs> Uh, I love this quote from the retired builder. He's named Bill Childs. He's 79. He said, we've had broadband problems for as long as I can remember. (laughs) He's 79. Wow, that's a long time of broadband problems. Uh, In the past few years, we must have had 30 or 40 engineers to the house. I need broadband to get my grocery shopping done. I'm almost 80. With COVID especially, I rely on shopping to be delivered. Don't we all, Bill Childs? Don't we all? I don't know if there's... My my dad's eighty, and he tried to do online shopping, and no go. That is <laughs> that is not. He's lying. That guy's lying. <laughs> yeah, he's he's, <laughs> he's looking at porn, and uh, yeah. he doesn't have to say it. <laughs> yeah, what good on him? Sex positive. Don't be ageist. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna yuck his yum. Irrational <laughs> <laughs> fear. I'm gonna start streaming to the. Oh no! That's maybe only the best I can do. Frustrating. Mother fucker. Mother fucker. This is a rational fear. This is just another practical example of the NBN. Our interview guest for tonight was a bright young man when he first entered politics. Just a few years later now, he's just another bright old man in politics. It's the Honourable Member for Melbourne and Leader of the Greens, Adam Band. Adam, thanks for joining us on Irrational Fear. Thanks for having me on. I watched the trip a couple of nights ago. It was just like that just then. That was amazing. <laughs> uh, did, uh, did, were there old TVs in, in the trip causing uh, broadband problems? 
not quite. It was a bit more advanced than that. <laughs> um, now, Adam, we got you on this podcast to talk gas. Let's talk gas together. Let's turn methane into usthane. Uh, it's been a – I'm just going to do a bit of a rant f- before we kick off. Now, all the energy announcements over the last couple of weeks have really got me down. And it's our emissions that should be down, not me. So let's do a quick recap. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, the agency de- designed to fund renewable energy, uh, is now going to be used to create emissions-intensive fossil fuel projects. Hooray! Like methane gas generation and hydrogen generation is also on the cards. Now, that normally sounds like a clean clean fuel, but under this plan, they plan to make hydrogen using electricity made from gas power. Yes! Hydrogen made from gas is like eating a cucumber made from recycled dildos. You know, it looks like a cucumber, it tastes like a cucumber, but I can't help but think it's been used for some other purpose and I'm going to be sick later. Arena would also pay for magical technology like carbon capture storage. Just like Harry Potter, this technology only exists in books. Uh, And this is interesting from Alan Finkel. He had this quote when this announcement was being made. He said, I know some may be sceptical because carbon capture permanent storage hasn't been commercially viable in the electricity generation industry. During... The presentation for this event, the chief scientist was saying it doesn't work. Also this week, no emissions reduction targets were set. That's right. The Minister for Emissions Reduction hasn't actually set a target for the industry to get their emissions reduced. And that's his whole job. The the renewable energy target didn't get re-implemented. It was just kind of left abandoned and it just left to fly away in the wind. And Scott Morrison also this week on Insiders said, renewables don't need our help. They pay for themselves. The market can look after them. Whereas fossil fuels still need 29 billion US a year in subsidies. You know, one day those fossil fuel industries will hopefully break even and maybe they can pay some fucking tax. Morrison said on Insiders also, you know, we're focused on lowering emissions, which is why we're building new gas plants and seeing if coal is viable and not signing up to any targets to lower any emissions. You also said, I'm not interested in signing things. I'm interested in doing things. That's why we're investing in carbon capture storage, a technology that's not working at any scale anywhere in the world. (laughs) CCS is the very definition of not doing anything. And when it came to reaching about net zero emissions by 2050, he said, we have a plan to achieve that in the second half of next century. That's not 2050. That's 2100. Here's the kicker. Keaton and Joshi wrote in Renewable Economy, at the rate of yearly emissions drops between 2020 and 2030, in the Australia's uh, government projections, he reckons that Australia will reach net zero emissions by 2300. 2300, according to government, the government's own paperwork. Uh, only one can assume that ScoMo is, you know, rapidly trying to accelerate emissions because he wants to bring on the rapture early for his Hillsong mates. And maybe that is a plan. It's a good plan. And uh, this is also the plan. This whole technology plan, this whole technology roadmap is the plan that Australia is taking to COP26. Yes, the whole world is rapidly accelerating their own emissions reduction to be net zero by 2030 even. China declared this week they're going carbon neutral by 2060. Yes, 
Not even the country that's putting Tibetans in forced labour camps for the Olympics is evil enough to buy our coal. We're going to be going up to Glasgow and showing that we don't have a renewable energy target. We don't have any renewables. We're not investing. Now we're investing in billions of technology that doesn't work. We're going to make hydrogen with methane and we're going to frack ourselves to death. Well, global leaders at the Conference of Parties 26, what do you think of our fucking plan? Well, Australia has a history of cheating and stealing and tricking us all at this conference. So, you know, uh, like they did in Kyoto, in Paris, why should the fact they've turned up and taken a giant shit in the middle of the living room be surprising? It's not. We expected it. That's why we're implementing carbon tariffs on imports from countries like Australia so they can take a shit anywhere in the world and then they'll be able to pay for it. Adam, how did I go? That <laughs> <laughs> summed it up really well. I might pinch a few of those lines if I can. <laughs> I mean, I, what, everyone's been um, rightly, like we've kind of dropped everything to deal with the coronavirus at the moment and like, we're all stuck in Melbourne in lockdown. No one likes it, but we understand that we've got to do it. And But it's, it's occupied the national agenda and rightly so because it's literally a matter of life and death. But while that's been happening... Um, the announcement after announcement has been coming in about uh, what is happening on the climate crisis front. And just this week, we got told that um, that you referred to the Paris Agreement and the parties to all of the Paris Agreement, which we're going to meet this year and are going to meet again next year. Um, a new update has come out that has said that the, the parties to the Paris Agreement, we all agreed to try and limit global warming to less than two degrees, because that's generally accepted as being go above that and the chain reaction might become unstoppable, right? And you might not be able to rein it in and we've been it's clear as day that the pledges that everyone has made are not going to limit us to two degrees and we got told this week that even if we do limit global warming to two degrees um, sea levels might rise by a couple of meters this century and forget about the great barrier reef it's gone forever and so we're talking about massive massive changes even if we meet the targets that are set out in paris scott morrison's targets have us on track for three degrees, right? So not two degrees, but three degrees. And the Bureau of Meteorology came along to the Senate uh, and told the Senate uh, Senate committee that in Australia, current targets are going to mean something more like 4.4 degrees by the end of this century. So during, during the lifetime of today's primary school students. So we're talking about massive, massive devastation in Australia and a huge threat. And there's a simple thing that we've got to do like in order to increase our ambition so that we stay below two degrees, which is to phase out coal and gas. Like we can't be talking about new coal and gas. We've got the plan has to be how do we take the existing coal and gas that we've got and phase it out. But instead, like not only is Morrison not talking about that, and he's not talking about gas instead of coal, he's talking about gas as well as coal. So not only is he not coming along with a plan to phase it out, He's coming on with a plan to take money that should be going to solar and wind or to schools and hospitals and now use that to actively expand the amount of gas that we suck out of the ground and the amount of coal that we dig up, right? Public subsidies should not be going to increase fossil fuel, but that's where they're going. It's so counterintuitive to, to dismantle an arena like this. I mean, it's not being dismantled. They've, they've been given a new remit over the last uh, 10 years. They've been there to invest in renewable energy and now they've been told to skip renewable energy. Energy and invest in these fossil fuel energy systems. And that is – and one of the things, Adam, that I don't understand is they said the board is going to remain the same and, you know, everyone there is going to be kind of focused on this new mission. But how many of the, how many people on that board are going to want to stay on that board and – be at a be at an organisation like that that is actually facilitating the exact antithesis of the mission that they were there to create. 
Well, the, the, the government has set up a new steering committee to oversee this new genius of a plan. Sounds like a fucking committee. They're setting up a fucking committee to <laughs> well, fuck around. The, the head of Coca-Cola is on it, but no one from Renewable Energy. Right, that is like the head of Coca Cola. I don't like what is going on there. It, the head of Coca Cola. It makes sense when you're talking about carbon emissions. You got to talk yeah, about maybe the most car- the brief. carbonated right, emissions. Maybe you misread the brief and thought this is a great opportunity for soft drinks. I don't know, but I, this is this is the direction that they're taking us. And you, you talked about hydrogen before, right? And like hydrogen, in a sense, uh, is in some ways could be the perfect fuel because you burn hydrogen, it turns back into water, and um, there are you got, you've got uh, in South Korea and uh, in Japan they're kind of they're, they're starting to shift their vehicles to hydrogen. They're crying, they're looking for countries to export hydrogen to them. And so if you could make it renewably by splitting water using renewable electricity, then you'd have basically and, and Australia is so well placed to do that. Oh, oh have Adam, an Adam, Adam in an please tell me of a so please tell me of a nation that has lots of sunshine and water and that can use solar to create hydrogen. Is there one? I'm not so sure. <laughs> That's right. And it's, is, yeah. there, is there a nation that is girt by water? <laughs> <laughs> Gert, we need a yeah, we need Gert. a nation that's girt by water. It's the time when girt might actually mean something, coming useful. Um, the, but instead, what what we're doing is, as you alluded to, they're now going to subsidise through the Renewable Energy Agency and potentially through the other agencies as well, the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, using gas, sucking more gas out of the ground, so not existing gas, opening up new gas fields, sucking it out burning that to generate electricity, using that electricity to split water to create hydrogen, and then, according to some unicorn technology that doesn't exist, burying all the CO2 emissions generated by that back underground. Like, it's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. But when you consider that um, the gas and coal lobby have donated about $9 million to the uh, establishment parties over the last um, few years, the whole thing starts to make a bit more sense. Adam, uh, we get some uh, pretty good donations on the Patreon. I think we could match $9 <laughs> million and uh, see if we could buy them off. This is, I was, had this idea earlier this week and I was like, what if we had a Kickstarter to raise $10 million to donate to both major parties to encourage them to limit emissions? It's almost like paying some kind of tax. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic idea. It sounds like you, you might be in sli- slightly in the wrong business, but it's, uh, like the like the amount like it's a pretty good investment for the coal and gas companies. Pretty good return on investment for them. Donate nine million dollars to um, Liberal and Labor, and in return you get to suck as much gas and coal out of Australia as you want, and while whilst we burn. And um, this is what is so distressing about this at the moment is that there doesn't seem uh, to there seems to be. Uh, I think Morrison's taking the approach that it's okay, I'm dealing with the climate crisis and then like letting people believe that he's got it under control without telling the truth about the scale of the challenge that we're facing. Like we just do not have the capacity to expand our gas and coal production, let alone at public expense. It's just it's so frustrating, right? Can I can I ask as a you got you and Dan obviously I'll know a lot more about the details than me, but Adam what like we all hear heaps of experts saying that this is a bad idea. What's their pitch? Like, apart from giving uh, kickbacks to the the donors, what what is their argument for it being a good idea? Um, they uh, they say, oh, look, we need gas as a transition fuel as we switch over to renewables because renewables are intermittent, so we need something to balance them out. But a we've got batteries now, and B, the chief scientist said about that, you know, the same chief scientist who just gave that glowing endorsement to carbon capture and storage also <laughs> said, look, 
oh, but actually I think there's enough gas in the system already that we don't actually need more gas to do it. We've got enough gas-fired power stations in the country already to be able to balance it out if we wanted to get to, you know, 70, 80, 90, 100% renewables, we wouldn't need to build a single new gas-fired power station, according to the chief scientists. So um, their pitch kind of really is is paper thin, but they're hoping that no one's going to press them on it. There's uh, there's another uh, argument uh, Angus Taylor has for jobs, saying it's you know it's going to create 130,000 jobs, but but and nobody has seen how those jobs are actually going to come about. And there's another great thing. There's another great thing where I, I read a tweet from Simon Holmes Court saying that 400 megawatts of power delivered by a gas plant had attached to it about 15 jobs. One of the big five uh, consulting firms, Ernst & Young, says there's about a million jobs worth of, uh, of jobs there in renewables and that to completely change the way we operate, uh, there's a million jobs there to kind of reinvigorate and rebuild, build, rebuild Australia as a carbon neutral the country. The notorious greenies Ernst & Young, of course. <laughs> <laughs> This is the whole point, though. Like, it's getting it, – you go to, um, you know, obviously not the US. Like, the US has got the um, – the US, Donald Trump talks fondly about our immigration and energy policies, and you can see why. So we're kind of sadly leading the world in that respect. But you go to other places, and um, climate – like Germany, for example, and climate isn't as politicised in the way that it is here. And, like, there's just an increasing acceptance across the board that we're heading towards a cliff at about 200 k's an hour. And – the coalition saying, oh, well, let's slow down to 180 before we go over the edge. Labor saying, oh, maybe it should be 150. But everyone else who's not in the pockets of the coal and gas industry is saying, oh, hang on, look, something's wrong here and we need to um, change course and do it pretty quickly. And outside of Australia, like, as you said in your opening, we're going to front up to these global negotiations at the, at the Conference of the Parties next year with this terrible, terrible plan put forward by Angus Taylor. And we're going to be um, laughed out of the room. And But sadly, Australia's yeah, these, these agreements work by consensus. And so Australia sits there drags its heels and um, drags ambition down and, 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 you know, our kids are going to pay for it. Uh, what, how do we kind of fight back, Adam? Like what, like what is the, what is the, I mean, this government's in for another little bit. Um, how do you kind of push back in this kind of space where this is the optimum time for them to put something in because they've got a couple more years to run and they're doing the hardest thing they possibly can right now in the middle of the pandemic where no one's looking? How do you push back? Well, I'm kind of optimistic about this, actually, because like in Melbourne, um, you know, next to my seat is a couple of seats that um, the Liberals hold, and one of them is the Treasurer's seat, and they had to spend a million bucks holding that seat because um, the Greens were on the verge of winning it, and they spent a million dollars telling the electorate how much they cared about climate change and what a great plan they had to deal with um, the climate crisis, and the same in uh, in these inner city seats in Sydney and increasingly in some regional seats as well. And I think the, um, they, they're thinking that, oh, well, we're, we're in at the moment, we're riding high in the polls because of the pandemic, we can get away with whatever we want. But people aren't stupid. And um, if you... It, what it's feel in you know, 2020 feels pretty long and it feels like a long time ago but over this summer like we were, people were losing their lives people were losing their houses a billion um animals uh, were perished in the fires that we saw and in inner city melbourne and in sydney and in canberra 
you know, you, you couldn't go about your usual business because the, um, the smoke was so thick it was hazardous. And I think those kind of challenges and that kind of crisis hasn't gone away. And increasingly people, I think, across the political spectrum are seeing through this and the polling bears that out and it's just a matter of finding ways of bringing that political pressure to bear on the government, which is why the government even has to dress up, you know, coming back to the question before about what's their pitch, they have to dress up gas as a climate-friendly solution. And, you know, we've got the, the answer is to take the fight up to them in Parliament about this. And Labor doesn't know where it's standing. They're talking about environmentally sustainable gas like clean coal. But I think increasingly people know that um, no, you've got to keep it in the ground. And I think come the next election, if we do our job right as the Greens, uh, as, as people who are concerned about this across the country, they're going to be in for a bit of a rude shock in, um, in a couple of seats and in a very finely balanced parliament where you've got the likes of Zali Stegall winning um, seats off the Liberals and Helen Haynes in regional Victoria, seats that were Conservative seats now going to pro-climate action independence and to Greens, I think um, a change is coming and it's not, it's not going to be that far away. Um, what is Joel Fitzgibbon doing? What's his play? Well, he's the, you know, he's Anthony Albanese's hand-picked resources spokesperson. So he's giving the official line of the Labor Party and he represents a lot of the, um, uh, the views of a large section of the Labor Party. He's uh, been persistently, and the Labor Party's always had these people who um, advance the lines of the coal and gas industry, just like the Liberal Party does as well. And I think he's pushing very, very hard to make sure that, um, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but um, back when Julia Gillard was in strife, Joel Fitzgibbon was one of the first people to go on television and help tear her down and um, sit there and basically say, I've got no confidence in my Prime Minister. And I feel, and I think that he's doing the same again. He's out there saying, look, no, this is what the Labor Party's position is going to be. And if I have to burn down the village to save it, I will. And I think, sadly, sadly, he's got a lot of support in the Labor Party. Well, uh, thanks for the optimistic end. That was really, 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 <laughs> But I think, but, but he's got a lot of support, but I, I don't think it's where, it's increasingly, it's not where people are at, you know. Right. I mean, yeah. like there's, there's like, yes, let, let's have a plan for people in the Hunter Valley. I mean, I used to be, before I came to this gig, I represented um, workers in the Latrobe Valley in coal-fired power stations. Yep. I think I'm the only, I don't know if I'm the only member of parliament, I'm probably the only Green with a picture of a coal-fired power station hanging on their wall. <laughs> it's a, it, was a, it was a gift to me from um, the workers and the unions in the Latrobe Valley after I helped them win a case after privatisation. Like, we've got to have a plan to to take to, to support people, including in the Hunter Valley. So, like, he's got, he is right to be saying I'm going to fight for the interests of people, but the long-term interests of the people in the Hunter Valley or the Latrobe right. Valley is to is to make sure that their kids don't go to every Christmas holidays wondering when the next bushfire is going to hit. And so it's about um, the alternative that I think ultimately would satisfy even, you know, the staunchest Labor member in coal mining seats is a proper transition plan that looks after those workers, gives them mining jobs in other areas that are needed for renewables. But um, at the moment, they haven't yet bit that bullet. I think the frustrating thing right now is that now it's like crunch time. Now is like the time for action. Now is the time to get things done and sorted. And now is the time to do it. And we are doing every single thing that is the opposite of what needs to be done. And that there is no, uh, there's no will, there's no um, ambition, and there is literally uh, only a, a group of malevolent actors who are doing their worst, doing their absolute worst. And that is not what leadership is. 
Well, they're, they're the ones, but this is where I guess I feel a bit optimistic about it because like, we're, we're in a parliament where there's, they've only got a, a couple of seat majorities. So all, all, and we've got there on the crossbench, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting crossbench that, that includes, you know, me and Bob Caddo and um, uh, Andrew Wilkie and Helen Haynes and Zali Stegall and, and Rebecca Sharkey. And there's, you know, put Bob Catter to one side for the moment, all the rest of us actually have want to have a, um, a shared commitment to act on climate. Now, all it would take is a couple of, at the next election, if there's a small swing and a couple of seats fall, we're back in 2010 territory of another power sharing parliament. And I think the prospect there of, you know, and maybe another Liberal loses their seat to a pro-climate independent like Azali Stegall somewhere. Maybe the Greens pick up another seat somewhere. All of a sudden, bang, we are back in a power sharing parliament again. And there will be a very, very strong willingness to take action on climate. And I think like, if you ask people now, um, the carbon price that we had that was actually working when we had a minority parliament that Tony Abbott repealed, do you think that Abbott repealing it was the right thing? People, when, when people are polled, people say, no, it wasn't the right thing. We've, we've, you know, sadly, we've learned, we learned our lesson after having Tony Abbott. And I think we could be back in that situation again very, very soon, within a year or two. And then I think things could move very, very quickly. And I think this built-up public pressure um, will ultimately become irresistible. So I, I feel a bit more optimistic about that. Yeah, who knows? It could be like the NBN. They might just change their mind. They're like, hey, you know you know what? You know, we were wrong about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Better late than never. Like, but, but this is how it works, right? That's what happened with the Banking Royal Commission too. Like we pushed and pushed and pushed on that and they said, oh, no, we're never going to do it. We're never going to do it. And then, bang, they turned around one day and said, we're going to do it. Like they're not going to spend the next six months saying, oh, yeah, the Greens are right. We better change our policy to them. But the pressure will build up behind the scenes because it's coming from the public. And then, bang, one day when they realise that their um, electoral success may uh, may hinge on it, bang, they'll turn around and do something. That's, that's And if we can't get this government to do it, I mean, I still think the pathway to action is to turf this government out, um, get back into a power-sharing arrangement and then start cutting climate pollution. It's uh, it's just the goal of this government, right? When when marriage equality happened and Turnbull's walking around going, yeah, yeah, we brought marriage equality <laughs> to right. Australia, and like ScoMo's walking around going, yeah, well, we we brought fibre to the home to Australia. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, we're gonna kill you and then fucking fix you up a little bit later, and then you can thank us later. Uh, Adam Van, thank you so much for joining us on Irrational Fear. Thank you. Uh, now, to take us out, Geraldine, you've got a song uh, all about welcoming the audience back to to live venues. Yeah, well, yes, as, as a Victorian, um, it was really wonderful to hear a bit of news about the music industry of Melbourne from Dandrews. Um, but, yeah, I've got a little song just about how it's been a bit weird for us people who are used to being on stage in front of other humans. And, yeah, I'd be more than happy to share it with you if you give me a moment to pick up my guitar. Take it away. <laughs> for listening to the pod today as we struggle through this bloody plague we've been online for a while we don't know when we'll get back on stage we're so glad that you seem to like what we do even when it is confronting for you and if you think that we should all be committed some of the stuff we omitted when you're safely tucked up in your bed with all this news rattling through your head. If-
If it's driving you mad, imagine being us instead. Almost every song to which you sing along came out of a brain that can be pretty wrong. But you love it, don't you? You come back, won't you? If the words are patchy, at least the tune is catchy. Just by making your way through the doors, you'll make this your benevolent cause. So we really hope we'll see you when we all get to perform again. Hey, we just want to say thanks to Dan and to Lewis for asking me to come on. Really great to meet you too, Lizzie. And Adam, Adam, we stand the bench. Please, when it's safe for us all to get back out there and see our names pop up, whether it's on a balance sheet or in the comedy festival program, please, choose us. We're so lonely. But you love it, don't you? You come back, won't you? If the words are patchy, at least the tune is catchy. Just by making your way through the doors, you'll make us your benevolent cause. And if anything you've heard gives you pause, remember they're our problems, not yours. Yes, fantastic. Thank you so much, Geraldine Quinn. That's it for Irrational Fear. Please think our fear mongers for tonight, Lizzie Ho, Geraldine Quinn, Lewis Hobber and Adam Bant. Got anything to plug? Uh, Geraldine, you got anything to plug? Oh, please, just look me up on YouTube and find my Patreon. I've been putting out a music video every month and all but one of them so far have been in my unit. <laughs> Lizzie Who? Oh, I've got nothing to plug. Just <laughs> Adam Bant, what are you plugging? Uh, boat greens. <laughs> <laughs> and Lewis Hummer, what have you got to plug? Uh, nothing new, Dan. I've got something to plug. Next week, uh, we have a US election special. We've got a crazy good lineup. Uh, we've got Dave Anthony from The Dollop, Francesca Fiorentini from AJ Plus and TYT, and also The Mooch is joining us. Anthony Scaramucci, formerly of the White House, currently of the Lincoln Project, is joining us right here on the Irrational Fear podcast. If you want to hear it a day early, join, it on the, join us on the Patreon. If you want to see it live uh, and you are a Patreon member, you can watch it at 8am on Thursday morning on the Patreon. Big thank you to Dave Bluestein, Rupert Dagas, uh, Jacob Brown, Kate Holdsworth, Bertha Foundation, all of our Patreon supporters as well. Please join us next week for our US election special with the Mooch. Until next week, there's always something to be scared of. Good night. Ha <laughs> ha